Good evening, and welcome to the Independent News Hour. I'm your host, John Tarleton, Editor-in-Chief of the Independent, New York City's lefty newspaper and website. We're online at independent.org. That's I-N-D-Y-P-E-N-D-E-N-T dot O-R-G. Our latest print edition hit the streets last week. Our final print edition of 2022, you can find that in our red and white news boxes around the city in public libraries, independent bookstores, and other venues. My co-host, Amba Gagarian, is out this week, but will be rejoining us next week. In today's top story, we'll be following up on Governor Kathy Hochul's bombshell announcement on Thursday that she is nominating conservative judge Hector LaSalle to be the next chief judge of the New York Court of Appeals, the state's highest court. And in the second half of the show, we'll open the phone lines and invite your reflections on what you thought were the biggest stories of 2022 and what you think might be in store in 2023. But first, we turn to Kathy Kathy Hochul's announcement on Thursday that she is nominating conservative judge Hector LaSalle to be the next chief judge of the New York Court of Appeals, our state's highest court. LaSalle, a former Suffolk County prosecutor, has been fiercely criticized by socialists, progressives, labor unions, various advocacy groups for past rulings that were anti-choice, anti-union, and hostile to criminal justice reform. If confirmed by the Democratic-controlled state Senate, LaSalle would, LaSalle's presence would cement a four to three conservative majority on the Court of Appeals and his term would run until 2030. Since Thursday, 10 Democratic state senators have come out in opposition to LaSalle's nomination, as well as several major labor unions. In a moment, we'll speak with one of those state senators, Julia Salazar from Brooklyn. But first, let's hear from Governor Kathy Hochul who defended her choice of Hector LaSalle to lead the state of New York's top court at a press conference on Friday. I'm looking for someone who you can't tell what their political disposition is. I want someone who's going to be looking at every single case, applying the law to the facts, and doing what's right. So I'm not having, never wanted to have a political litmus test that some may have wanted me to do. So... I'm asking all the senators, because they are the only ones who are deeply involved in helping this process go toward the ultimate decision to allow this state to have the very first Latino head up the highest court in New York. I think that's historic. All right. So that was Governor Kathy Hochul speaking on Friday about her nomination of Hector LaSalle to New York's highest court to be its chief judge. Joining us now to talk about Governor Hochul's uh, selection of Hector LaSalle and why it has generated such intense opposition is State Senator Julia Salazar. She was first elected to the state Senate in 2018 and will begin her third term in office next week. She represents parts of North Brooklyn and Western Queens. In 2018, when she was elected, first elected, she became the first socialist to be elected to the state legislature in a 100 years. When the new legislative session begins next week, she'll be one of eight Democratic socialists serving in the state legislature, three in the state Senate and five in in the state legislature. And uh, Salazar was one of the first senators to come out in in opposition to Hector LaSalle's nomination. So uh, 
State Senator Julia Salazar. Welcome back to Indie, the Indie News Hour on WBAI Radio. Thank you so much for having me, John. It's always a pleasure. Yes, likewise. Uh, so you heard Kathy Hochul's remarks uh, a minute ago. We might as well uh, uh, start there. Your reaction to uh, uh, two of her central arguments, so one, that there shouldn't be a political litmus test uh, for choosing uh, judges to high courts, and second of all, that her her choice of Hector LaSalle is a triumph uh, for diversity and for the Latino community in particular. Yeah, for one, these appointments um, of uh, any of the justices on the Court of Appeals um, and certainly the chief judge are inherently political. There should absolutely be a political litmus test for these nominations. And frankly, I would say all of the nominations that the governor can make, um, just as much for, for commissioners, for example, of state agencies, uh, of politics affects all of our lives. And, uh, if anyone, um, in a position of power claims that they are apolitical, um, then they're not being honest. So uh, watch it, out. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That should set alarm bells off. Um, so I think that it, it really is imperative that we consider someone is, um, going to have some political orientation. Um, and so it should be someone who is going to, who we can expect to be, um, supportive of human rights, of civil rights. Um, someone who is, uh, not going to, um, have a conservative record or indicate that they would, um, you know, be, be sympathetic to conservatism as the chief judge of our state's highest court. Um, and, and to the point of, uh, diversity on the court, which is very important, um, but means a lot of different things, um, to different people. Uh, it, it, uh, really, we have to consider that, um, there are other uh, Latinos, uh, Latinx, uh, jurists in New York state who would be qualified. One is, um, at least one is even on the court of appeals right now, Justice Jenny Rivera. Um, but additionally, putting aside that there are other qualified Latinx candidates who would not have generated the controversy that um, Justice Hector LaSalle has. Um, we also have to remember, and I say this as someone who I'm very proud of my Latina heritage and identity, um, I represent a, a majority Latino district in the state Senate. I care very much about representation for my community and my constituents. However, uh, this is not a time for us to uh, tokenize Latinos or our community um, or or really prioritize um, identity at the expense of ensuring that the chief judge of the New York State Court of Appeals is um, going to uh, exercise jurisprudence um, that is good for for New Yorkers. Um, and who is going to, uh, really, we, who we can count on to protect the civil rights of New Yorkers, especially workers, um, and, uh, all of our rights when it comes to reproductive justice. Right. And can you, uh, talk a little bit more about why this appointment is so important in particular, the role that the uh, New York Court of Appeals, uh, plays and, and the, the name, it can be a little deceptive because it is, in fact, the highest court in New York. 
Um, but the role that this high court plays and in particular, the role that the chief judge plays not only in that court, but in, in his oversight of the judicial system in the state of New York and also the fact that the court currently is divided three to three between a liberal and a conservative block. Yeah, absolutely. Um, because of the current makeup of the court, um, the Court of Appeals in New York, uh, it really is all the it, it makes this nomination uh, all the more significant. If we um, have a, a chief judge of the Court of Appeals who has a, a history, any history, really, of, of um, conservative opinions, rulings, um, then we would see essentially a, a majority on the court um, sympathetic to that. And um, that really poses a threat to to workers, um, to all of us, and to our civil rights in New York State. Um, so as you mentioned, there are um, appeals courts in, in New York State um, some, when they hear the term Supreme Court, might think, because this is the case in, in some other states, um, that that is the highest court in the state. Um, but that is not the case in um, in New York State, where our highest court is the Court of Appeals. Um, and then just below that is the appellate division, um, the four circuits of the appellate division, um, and below that, the uh, state Supreme Court. Um and so, so basically, this is a very powerful position. It, um, it's a position of, of leadership within our state's highest court, but then additionally jurisdiction over all of the courts in the state. Um, every area of law that affects all of our lives, um, is impacted by the many, many, uh, decisions, rulings that, that come down. Um, every year from the New York State Court of Appeals. So it really has, it, it's a, it's a profoundly powerful position, um, and, and one that has tremendous influence over people's lives. Right. And, you know, we're looking at a situation where the state Senate currently uh, has a two thirds Democratic, uh, supermajority, 42 out of the 63 seats, I believe, are uh, controlled by Democrats coming out of the midterm elections. A- and, um, we have a situation here where the, the Democratic governor it, it is nominating, uh, someone, uh, that's seen by many as a conservative. I, I, I could only imagine the reaction of, uh, Joe Biden in a similar situation. If, if somehow the Democrats had a two thirds majority in the federal Senate in Washington, if he nominated a conservative, uh, the backlash would be, uh, furious. But, Let's dig into a little bit more where this backlash is coming from, uh, in, in some of the rulings that Hector LaSalle has been involved in, uh, around, uh, uh, abortion rights and, in in union rights in, in particular. Uh, maybe we'll start with those. Uh, he was involved in a very controversial dis- decision uh, around these, uh, the rights of these, uh, uh, er, early pregnancy or crisis pregnancy centers. We've covered this some at the independent, um, these places that sort of masquerade as medical facilities, but are uh, really intended to just propagate, uh, uh, you know, anti-abortion talking points to uh, vulnerable uh, young women who come seeking their services. 
Yeah, absolutely. So um, there are a number of, of cases um, in which uh, Justice LaSalle joined the majority opinion um, that are particular cause for concern. One of them is um, this, this evergreen case um, in which essentially um, the majority opinion that, that Justice LaSalle joined rejected protecting the right to choose um, or access abortion as a compelling state interest. Um, and instead of protecting that interest, um, as the as uh, courts have previously done, um, they only narrowly recognized any state interest in preventing um, the uh, unlicensed practice of medicine, which is essentially this is a problem with many of these crisis pregnancy centers that deceptively um, indicate uh, advertise themselves themselves as or um, uh, indicate to especially women who are are vulnerable and pregnant um, that they are medical providers when in fact crisis pregnancy centers are are not medical providers um, and do not provide abortions um, and and so it's really important when we have a hostile court at the federal level um, hostile to uh, abortion rights and reproductive rights um, that our state court of appeals is led by um, by a chief judge who is also going to protect that right, which which we have in, in New York state. Thankfully, our laws regarding abortion are are strong in New York state, but they also are are only really as strong as our courts that protect them. Um, and, and so, yeah, it it really is a serious concern for everyone who cares about reproductive justice um, and abortion access. Um, and, and additionally, can I also I, note that mm-hmm. Governor Hochul in her uh, rather lackluster campaign for election this fall, the one issue that she used to uh, try to energize uh, turnout was her fierce defense of abortion rights and, uh, you know, it's, uh, offering herself as a bulwark against the, the Dobbs decision that came from the Supreme Court earlier this year. And it, uh, your reaction to this uh, about face by her and her now saying she doesn't want a uh, political litmus t- test applied even around abortion rights in New York state. It's beyond disappointing to see this um, from from the governor, not just for myself as someone who after the primary and going into the general election, recognized how important it was for Lee Zeldin not to become our governor for us not to have a reactionary Republican governor um, supported the Governor Hochul um, and organized in, in my community um, to see so many uh, working class people, um, women, Latinos as well, organizing um, for Governor Hochul to actually be able to claim victory after the election. Um, it, it feels like a slap in the face when the governor then almost immediately turns around and disregards our concerns, which were voiced before the nomination was made. Um, there, there's a process for making this nomination, of course, and uh, the Commission on Judicial Nom- Nomination um, has to recommend, as they did, uh, several candidates um, to potentially be nominated as chief judge by the governor. 
Um, and they did so in November, not long after the general election, although un- unrelated to the election, actually. Um, but, but not long after the election, she received these recommendations, which included at least three excellent uh, jurists as candidates for the chief judge position um, and also included Justice LaSalle uh, beyond those the, the candidates who who we actually supported. Um, and. So she had, she had a choice. Um, and she, she chose to nominate someone. Um, and our hope is that she withdraws this nomination, but she chose to, to nominate a judge who, uh, advocates had already warned, um, has a, this record of being, um, of supporting anti-union decisions, uh, failing to, to protect, protect reproductive rights. Um, and additionally concerns, um, about him ruling um, against the rights of defendants as well of criminal defendants. So, so there are just numerous concerns about this, um, and it is so disappointing and disillusioning, especially for um, progressives, for many people who you know, members of uh, the Working Families Party, for example, who um, came out almost immediately in opposition to. The nomination of Justice LaSalle. Um, all of us worked really hard to help, uh, Governor Hochul get over the finish line. So for her to turn around and, and do this almost immediately after the election is, I, I, maybe I shouldn't be surprised, but it's shocking, um, and really disappointing. Right. And, and for people who weren't following the November election too closely, probably no group did more in the final weeks, uh, to, rescue a governor Hochul when her lead in the polls collapsed over Lee Zeldin, then the working families party mobilizing hundreds of people doing door to door canvassing. Uh, she had no ground game at all. WFP, uh, um, and, and various, uh, elected officials like yourself who have ties to the WFP as well as their, um, activists really stepped up in that moment when, when she was, uh, in, in bad shape. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and so it's, it's just all the more disappointing to see this from Governor Hochul. Um, and again, it, it wasn't just, um, a, a small group of us who had expressed concern and expressed, con- uh, support for three of the potential nominees, um, from, from the, uh, Commission on uh, Judicial Nomination that Governor Hochul could have nominated. Uh, there also was opposition from labor unions, um, particularly the CWA, um, opposition from re- reproductive rights organizations such as New York City for abortion rights, um, and a better balance that, you know, these are precisely the people who, um, were, were urging New Yorkers to come out and vote in November. Um, picked up the slack of a campaign that really was not doing enough. And that actually shows in, in, um, an uncomfortably close victory, even though Governor Hochul did thankfully win the election. Um, and, you know, it, it really serves to discourage those of us, certainly those of us on the left, but anyone, um, who, who, uh, you know, takes the time and energy um, and does the labor to get, uh, Democrats elected for a, a Democratic governor to then essentially behave like a Republican 
and prop up a um, conservative judge, uh, you know, it, it really is discouraging for, for people and is not going to motivate voters or volunteers <laughs> to come out next time around. Right. Well, speaking of, of Democrats, of course, um, all is not lost here. Uh, there is this Democratic uh, supermajority in the state Senate that you're a part of. Uh, uh, so far, there's been 10, uh, 10 of you that have come out in clear opposition uh, to this nomination. Um, so let's, I guess, sort of talk about the state of play in, in Albany. Uh, uh, you all have, I mean, the way you've uh, generally uh, run your, or the, the way the Democratic caucus generally runs its business in Albany is that uh, y'all don't uh, approve anything that you can't approve without a majority of Democratic votes. So you have 42 Democratic state senators. It takes 32 votes for a majority. So it basically ISIS the Republicans out of everything. And it, um, so uh, uh, props for that. But um, uh, um, so right now, 10, you, we've got 10 state senators that said they're not going to support the Hector LaSalle nomination. You would need at least one more to step forward and say, I'm not going to uh, back this. And and then, of course, if that happens and if more of your colleagues come out in opposition, there's the question of will Hochul, uh, uh, I guess, collaborate with uh, Senate Majority Leader Andrea Stewart-Cousins to uh, uh, try to bring Republicans into the fold here to help her get this nomination across the finish line. So I know that's a, a lot of moving parts up there, but uh, can you give us, first of all, uh, any sense of conversations uh, you're having with other colleagues, especially ones who have not committed yet on this question? Absolutely. Um, so I'm talking to my colleagues every day about uh, trying to ensure opposition to this nomination. I think the ideal scenario at this point would be for Governor Hochul to um, hear all of this opposition from organized labor from advocacy groups, from uh, organized attorneys, um, and from legislators, especially because um, senators ultimately will need to vote on the nomination, um, that she will hear all of this and withdraw Justice LaSalle's nomination and instead um, nominate one of the other judges who were recommended to her um, by the com- by the commission. Um, so in talking to other senators, uh, several have expressed publicly um, their opposition, but not stated that they um, will definitely vote no um, and have expressed that position um, in, in, in saying that they want to hear more from Justice LaSalle, that they want to interview him potentially as part of the um, nomination process. Um, and that process, by the way, is that um, if the nomination moves forward, it then goes to the Senate Judiciary Committee. Um, and if the Judiciary Committee approves of the nomination, um, then it would proceed to uh, the Senate Finance Committee um, as it is a paid position and um, to, to the Senate floor for a vote. We expect that all of the Republicans in the state Senate would vote 
no on this nomination. Um, mm. but I don't think that we can. And that's because they, they just generally oppose nominations, um, because they, because they realize that nominations are political. They generally oppose nominations from our democratic governor. Um, but I think that we can't take that for granted in a situation like this with such high stakes. We're talking about the nomination of someone who's going to uh, lead the administration of our entire court system in New York state, um, who will have a lot of power and who will have it presumably for a, an entire 14 year term. Um, and so we really need to be talking to everyone, Democrats and Republicans, even though, of course, um, and especially talking to the members of my own conference as the majority. Um, but we should be prepared for, for any scenario here, uh, because the stakes are so high. Um, I, I think we have already seen at least a couple members of the Republican conference already come out, um, in opposition, even though, um, they, I think were, were not asked to, um, say how they would vote on the nomination exactly. Uh, but, one of the challenges is, and, and I think it's a, a reasonable one, um, is the members of the Judiciary Committee in the State Senate, which I'm, I'm not assigned to the Judiciary Committee, um, but the members of the committee feel that they have a responsibility to have a hearing on the nomination, um, to ask questions of, uh, Justice LaSalle, um, and have him, him speak for himself about these deeply concerning um, opinions that, that are in his record on the bench. Um, so, you know, and I respect that they want to have the opportunity to do this, but I think what is really important for all state senators to understand, um, is the, the consequences, um, that we will all have to live with if, um, we are not really serious about making sure that, um, the, the next chief judge of the Court of Appeals um, is a is a a progressive or at least someone who is not going to be hostile to um, our view of our worldview um, and the rights of of our people and vulnerable people in our state. Right now, um, so we we got these you know t- ten of your colleagues, uh, as I mentioned, have have said they won't support this. Uh, we've seen news reports. Uh, uh, that there could be as many as, as 10 more that have uh, privately told people that they're uh, opposed to this nomination. I, I can't help but be a, a little dubious of that, that until you get an elected official publicly on their record, it's easy for them to go around telling different people different things. Is mm-hmm. is that a fair assessment? Yeah, I mean, I understand that everyone um, represents a, a different district and has different considerations and they are definitely experiencing pressure from the executive, from the governor's office. Um, and so I, I understand. Um, at the same time, it real, we have a responsibility here to, to do the right thing. Um, my, my hope is that for those who have held out on um, making a, a statement of opposition to the nomination and saying that they would vote no if this were brought to a vote, that um, they will, um, I think, have a, a change of heart and have the courage to speak out because um, speaking out and saying, I would vote no on this nomination if, 
if we vote, if we were to vote on it tomorrow, um, that does not uh, prevent them from giving Justice LaSalle a fair hearing if the governor decides that she's going to continue with this nomination. Um, and, and so, you know, I, I just don't think that these two things are mutually exclusive. And it's important if, if uh, a senator truly feels um, that LaSalle is not the right candidate for chief judge, then um, they actually publicly say so. Um, and proceed with the legislative process just as all of us are, are going to. Right. And, and we're speaking with uh, State Senator Julia Salazar here on the Independent News Hour on WBAI 99.5 FM. Uh, we're going to go a, a little longer uh, with Senator Salazar. We uh, certainly appreciate your time this evening. Uh, also want to let people know uh, we'll go to uh, listener call-ins in a, in a little while. And that number is 212-209-2877, 212-209-2877. Uh, we're going to be talking, this is the last uh, edition of the Independent News Hour of the Year, and we look forward to thinking about big things that are going to happen next year and look forward to hearing from our listeners uh, who want to talk about that and also reflect on some of the biggest stories from this year. Uh, but, uh, Senator Salazar, I mean, let's, uh, I guess name some names here of, uh, some people who are, uh, um, who haven't, uh, spoken out yet, uh, especially here in the city that, uh, you would think might uh, have uh, pretty strong views on this. Uh, I mean, I would include, uh, state senators, uh, Zellner Myrie, uh, Myrie from, uh, uh, Brooklyn. Also, uh, Senator Andrew Gornadis, uh, 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 state senator Brian Kavanaugh in lower Manhattan. I, uh, I don't think, uh, Liz Kruger on the Upper East Side, a, a liberal stalwart, she hasn't been heard from yet. Uh, Brad Hoyleman, he's the chair of the Dish- Judiciary Committee, so he says he's staying neutral for now. Also, uh, Michael Giannaris, uh, the deputy majority leader from uh, Western Queens, uh, whose political profile has moved to the left in uh, recent years. Uh, where are they? What's, what's uh, holding them back? Yeah, um, I mean, I know that they can speak for themselves, and I certainly um, hope they will continue to. I know that some of the names that you mentioned, um, such as Senator Gennardis, have put out statements um, that conveyed a serious concern about this nomination. Um, but my understanding um, is that uh, several of these senators are members of the Judiciary Committee, um, and I think that, and, and certainly Senator Hoyleman is the chair of the committee. Um, Senator Kruger is the chair of finance, which of course, if, if, um, Justice LaSalle were to go through the judiciary committee, he would also, um, ha- his nomination would also be taken up by, by the finance committee. And so, um, I, I understand that these senators may, um, f- want to appear, um, impartial. Um, and want to ensure that they're approaching this with, with integrity. Um, I just don't think that, that, um, it is mutually exclusive to do that and also, um, express opposition to this nomination. Um, but I, I would encourage, um, any listeners who care about this, um, who are opposed to this nomination to, call the governor's office to call their senators um, as ever and um, express your concerns about this nomination um, and what you want to see from your elected official. 
Right. There's even a website that has been started called the court NY deserves.com, the court NY deserves.com, uh, with more information on all this and also information on how people can, uh, take action and, and contact the state senator that represents them, uh, in Albany to let them know how, uh, you feel. Um, also just wanted to ask, I mean, the, the first three uh, state senators who I think, uh, came out with, uh, statements of opposition uh, uh, were yourself, Jabari Brisport, and, and, and Senator-elect uh, Kristen Gonzalez, who will take office next week, all members of the Democratic Socialists of America. Uh, do, you, do you think it made any difference to the uh, trajectory we're now on that there were uh, three socialists in the state Senate who were uh, ready to uh, immediately uh, come out in opposition to this and not uh, waver or try to engage in horse trading? Yeah, I think so. Um, I, I think that, um, it's not a coincidence that, um, Senator Alec Gonzalez and myself and Senator Brisport, um, immediately knew that we needed to reject this nomination. Uh, each of us as democratic socialists, we, and, and collectively together, um, maintain close relationships with, um, the organizations who have been um, following this closely and, uh, the, the nomination of, of chief judge, um, and learning from them, um, especially the attorneys among them, um, who, who did the research, um, and helped us understand, um, not only what is at stake, but, um, the specific concerns and, and warranted concerns that people have about, um, these previous cases. Um, that, that, um, LaSalle joined the majority opinion on. Um, I think that, uh, we have a role and a responsibility as democratic socialists in the state Senate to lead on these issues. Um, even as, of course, we have, um, allies in the state Senate, uh, colleagues who have, have also shown immense courage on these issues. Um, Senator Rivera, uh, almost immediately, uh, for example, Senator Gustavo Rivera from the Bronx, um, came out in opposition to this nomination unequivocally. Um, and so, you know, I, I don't want to, um, to pretend that, um, as socialists, we are, uh, the, the only ones speaking up about this, but I do think that we have a, a very important role to play, um, and a responsibility, um, as socialists to do that. Right. And, and also, uh, I mean, one thing that sort of hangs over this when, when trying to understand why Hochul made this choice that she did, uh, is the fact that, uh, Hector LaSalle you know, has a reputation as a very tough law and order prosecutor from out in Suffolk County. Um, and, and that if he, uh, was entrenched, uh, in the, in the court of appeals for the, the next 14 years, I, I was mistaken when I said earlier, his term would actually go to 2037, uh, not 2030. If he was in there, that he would be in a position to help overturn the bail reform law of 2019 that has been so controversial, and uh, some of the Democrats have struggled to uh, ward off Republican attacks. And it seems like they just want to throw that one way or another, be done with that uh, reform, whether they uh, carry it out in the legislature or have somebody like Hector LaSalle 
um, in, in the Court of Appeals to cement that four to three conservative majority that they're so desperate to uh, get rid of this thing that they see as a millstone around their election prospects. Can you uh, just quickly sort of sum up why the, the bail reform law was actually a good thing and, and is something that should be defended, not jettisoned and certainly not be a, a reason to choose someone like Hector LaSalle with all his baggage to sit atop the Court of Appeals? Absolutely. This really, uh, at the core of, of this question, at the core of bail reform, um, is the is the question of um, people's liberty. Uh, in 2019, we took action in, in the legislature through the, the state budget at the time um, to pass bail reform laws so that fewer people would, um, few, fewer people accused of crimes um, and charged with crimes would have to spend time in jail pre-trial. Um, as simple as that, really. Uh, and it, by the following year, just months after the actual implementation date of the new bail laws, um, the legislature with then Governor Cuomo was already seeking to roll back the progress that we had made on, on bail reform, um, and due solely to, um, to fear mongering, um, and the conflation of, um, crime in some areas with bail, even though there is, is no evidence that bail reform is linked to any increase in crimes or decrease in public safety. Um, and then again, so naturally, um, myself and other senators who um, supported the 2019 bail reforms and were opposed to any efforts to undo that progress, we voted against those changes in 2020, but they nonetheless became law. Um, and then in 2022, just earlier this year, in the budget process, there was an, again an attempt to roll back the progress of, of bail reform led by uh, Governor Hochul and her office. Um, and unfortunately, that became the case again. And that's why many of us voted no on, on that budget bill that included additional changes, as they say, tweaks <laughs> to, to bail reform. But it's important to understand that these tweaks are significant. Um, every time that we take a step back and say, OK, we're actually going to make more, not fewer, but more um, offenses eligible for um, for judges to set bail rather than someone be released, um, then we are uh, further criminalizing poverty, um, ensuring that the same person who commits a crime but is poor is more likely to be incarcerated and experience all of the negative impacts of incarceration, um, the trauma of having to be held in, on Rikers Island, an incredibly dangerous and violent uh, jail system in our city. Um, also, the challenges of potentially losing custody of their kids, losing their job. Um, there are, are so many collateral consequences to someone being in jail as a legally innocent person pre-trial. Um, and so we really have to take this so seriously um, it would be an enormous step backwards and have devastating consequences for many people if um, 
our, our bail laws as written and uh, the changes that we made in 2019 were completely um, were were undone. Um, and certainly if they were undone as, as a result of our highest court. Um, so I, while I'm hopeful that that is not, um, a, a serious risk right now, um, if, if that were to happen, it would be absolutely devastating, um, especially to communities of color, to working people, um, to my neighbors in the community that I represent. Right. And, and, this is an issue that we covered extensively at the uh, in, at the independent um and just i mean it feels like we need a refresh here sometimes uh, what w- was often common practice before this reform was passed was for people who were arrested on minor charges uh, for the the classic case of Khalif Browder the teenager who was a- arrested uh, on the charge of stealing a backpack and, and was uh his family was unable to meet, uh, uh, whatever it was, a $500,000 bail. I don't remember. Um, they just simply didn't have the money and he was stuck on Rikers Island. He refused to plead guilty because he asserted he was innocent and the prosecute, he, uh, state was held there for three years until finally evidence emerged. I think that the prosecution had to drop the case, but the, the standard practice, uh, was to take poor people who could not meet bail, uh, hold them out on in the in the horrible conditions of Rikers Island, and basically sweat a plea bargain out of them until they couldn't take it any longer, and then and they had to face the prospects of losing their their apartment, losing their job, uh, the whole you know the situation with their, their family and their children unraveling. That that you were getting essentially all these coerced confessions and plea bargains uh, in cases where. The person, maybe they were guilty or maybe they weren't, but there was no ability to have a fair judicial process because they were being uh, just left to rot on, on Rikers Island. And most people would not uh, want to endure that for months or years. And in Khalif Browder's case, he was ultimately exonerated and, and released uh, after he stood by his innocence. And he later committed suicide from all the trauma he experienced, experienced on Rikers Island, which helped set in motion this reform effort. And we, it seems like we've kind of, at least in the mainstream media narrative, have completely lost sight of why this was uh, uh, put in place to start with. Absolutely. Yeah. And we always have to remember Khalif Browder, um, it, who, it, while Khalif Browder was one person um, and someone who was beloved by his family and many people, um, and it's devastating that um, that he died really as, as a result of what he endured um, is what led him to to take his life as such a as such a young man. Um, we have to remember Khalif Browder, but also recognize that he represents thousands and thousands of of people uh, every single year in in New York City who um, are are legally innocent, who do not pose a threat to public safety, um, and for that reason, it it really is wrong to. Um, to hold them in our city's jails. Um, and the fact that, that, um, so many people are unnecessarily held pretrial just further contributes to the crisis that we see on Rikers Island. Um, that the, the jail population is much higher than, than it should be. Um, and 
you know, that, that makes it harder to address some of the serious problems of, of violence and staffing in our city's jails. Okay, well, we'll leave it there. But uh, State Senator Julia Salazar, thank you so much for your time this evening. It's always great to talk with you here on WBAI Radio. Thank you so much, John. I really appreciate it. Happy holidays. You too. All right. Uh, we will be back with more after this short music break. 